You really mustn't, darling. I... Hello, welcome to another episode of Can I Comment? My name is Michael, and uh, man, I am really excited about the podcast today. Jake and I sat down with Joshua Broom for uh, such an incredible, remarkable conversation, honestly, hearing his story and his journey from um, being a uh, porn, like a world-renowned porn star, one adult performer of the year, uh, all the way to his journey of getting out of the industry, meeting Jesus, and now leading, teaching, uh, and pastoring people. So I don't want to take up too much of your time now because we want to jump right into this conversation that Jake and I had with Joshua. And hey, don't forget, do us a huge favor, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, rate the show, please leave us a kind review. It really does go such a long way in, in helping us get the word out about the podcast. Hey, without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation with myself, with Jake, and with Joshua. Let's start from the beginning, I think, because I think, you know, like Long to ago. look you up online, it's like, I mean, you know, it's like ex award winning porn star, now pastor, yeah. you know, which right. is like such an incredible, yeah. just like top <laughs> yeah, line, I mean, it's top like, line yeah, story. It's like you, you jump from like 2005 to 2021 like that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So how did that yeah. like, you know, you mentioned again, kind of just, I, I think you said maybe growing up without a dad, maybe just like start. Um, I don't know what kind of brought you to LA in the first place. Like talk about those early days and like what that was, yeah. what that was like. Yeah. So I, I grew up, um, my mom had me when she was 16 and my dad lived in the town that I grew up in, but he never played a role as father in my life, but it was kind of unique because, um, it was a really small town. So I would see him like in mm. town. But wow, wow. we never had a relationship like he had, he had reached out to me here and there, like, you know, but between the time I was born and to the time I was 18, I had, you know, co like sporadic conversations with him. But it was always like talking to a stranger, but I knew his title. So mm. like that left me feeling, wow. you know, mm. kind of what's wrong with me? I need to prove myself. And as someone who hit like I am a very high achiever. So it's just like achievement kind of almost blanketed the pain or blanketed the the feeling of why am I not enough? Mm -hmm. And like achievement was the way that I affirmed myself. So whether it was through scholastics or sports or whatever it was, but I started modeling when I was 13 or 14 years old and I had a lot of su success in that, but I really wanted to be an actor. And I had a lot more success modeling than I had acting, but acting was my my big, big passion. And when I went you to school- You have a terrific jawline, by the way. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate you got that. that. You got that actor. Appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. That actor um, jawline. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I wanted, I wanted to be an actor. So I- I studied theater in college and that's what I wanted to do. And after uh, about two and a half years of school, I, I was tired of me auditioning for something. And then uh, someone saying, well, if you were in closer proximity, mm -hmm. this would happen. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know what? I'm going. Yep. So I, I dropped out of school and moved to L.A. and I got an apartment on the bottom of um, where uh, – 
where Laurel Canyon becomes Crescent Heights, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Right, right, right where uh, I broke Front down is. there one time. Did you break down there? Oh, one yeah. time? Literally driving yeah. up Laurel Canyon. In, oh, that's the worst. That's, oh, the, that's the worst in possible place. Yeah. I ran out of P- gas. Oh, like other than the PCH, there's no. I can't think of a, a street that would be worse. It's oh, terrible. I, guess, I know. Anyway, so, yeah, Laurel Canyon. Yeah. So you just sorry. You I'm going to interrupt you a lot because that's what yeah, I that's do. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's how I think. So I'm glad <laughs> that like I, I think it's it's just going to be more uh, yeah. genuine. Yeah. But yeah. that was like so. That's like immersion. I mean, you moved right into. Yeah, I, I moved to move when I first moved to LA. We were like just a couple blocks off the beach in Santa Monica. So right. it was like a bit okay. out of the. Yeah. But you were like. You were yeah, right, like right there. Yeah, so I I was there, and I got I got a modeling agent right away, and I eventually got, you know, involved like doing some improv, like at um I forget what it was called, like the improv studio, like, mm-hmm. but I I I ended up with an agent for both modeling and acting, and I was doing okay, like I wasn't killing it, but I was I was working, mm-hmm. and like most people who are in Hollywood trying to survive, paying way too much for rent. Yep. Um, I had to get another job. So I worked at mm-hmm. Saddle Ranch. So I, I was yeah. working at oh, Saddle yes. Ranch. Yeah. I think yeah. that was the first restaurant I ever went to in Los Angeles. Is that the one that had the bull in it? Yeah. 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 The taco place. The mechanical bull. But the food there is pretty epic. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. good. Yeah. I only ever went there yeah. for breakfast. And then I remember yeah. driving by it on sunset one night and seeing like a raging party going on there. I was like, yeah. whoa, I didn't know. Yeah. The caveat for that place is I'm pretty sure it's intentional. So um, at 10 o'clock, they start carting. But if you are getting a table for dinner, you could be 11 and get in. Mm. Got you. But the, the reality is at, you know, at starting around like 9, 10 o'clock, it becomes like a full-blown club. Yeah. It okay. goes from like yeah. serving steaks yes. to like shots on shots on shots. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like like within an hour, yeah. like the clientele completely changed. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it was a madhouse and I worked there and I made pretty good money working mm-hmm. there. So. You know, I'm working there and things are going well. I love my roommates. I'm I'm dating a girl that um you know, she she's really got her act together. She's um she's a dancer. She's working at a dance studio. She you know, she had been in several music videos like really close to like mm-hmm. not, you know, just really close to like just you know, being able to dance full time. But really talented, really great person. And, you know, life was good. And then I'm waiting on this table and it's four like very attractive girls. And I walk over there and I introduce myself and I ask them what they want to drink or whatever. And then they say, hey, um, have you ever considered being an actor? And I was like, well, <laughs> this is funny, you should ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny, funny you ask. But I was like, yeah, you know, absolutely. And they're like, no, 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 we're talking about porn. And I was like. Wow. Um, never thought about doing that. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I was like, I, I've seen it. Yeah. I never thought about doing it. I mean, I, yeah, I, I was kind of just flabbergasted. I didn't know what to say because it's like one of those things that only happens in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? mean? For me, for me, it was like, um, a, a, a strange example to correlate it with, but, um, we went to Disney world recently and my son sees Mickey and like he only watches cartoons. Like right. He's three years old. So he only watches cartoons. And then he sees a real life Mickey mm-hmm. waving at him, like <laughs> all in his face. It's just like this gigantic thing. And he, he's like terrified. 
Right. Because he he could, he couldn't wrap his head around this cartoon that he watches on this television screen mm-hmm. is real, mm-hmm. and like that's how I kind of felt. I was like, I didn't think that like this was a real thing, mm-hmm. like definitely wow. not something that people do for a living. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, they, yeah. I mean, because like, it was just just like this plausible reality that like existed on its own. You yeah, know? I'm sure but, we'll get there at some point in your story, but that really does speak to, I think, like the detachment that has to happen oh, between the participant mm-hmm. in viewing pornography and the people who right. are producing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's so dehumanizing. And yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, ha- I, have a, I have a podcast called Counterfeit Culture, and that's the, the whole thing. It's like, you know, when, when, how do you identify fake money? Mm-hmm. Um, you do it by, you know, familiarizing yourself yeah. with the currency, you know, the mm-hmm. touch, the feel, holding up the light so that when you see something that's fake, you can identify the counterfeit. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in many instances, um, you know, if you know what love is, you can identify what's not, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, man, I, I was like, okay, you know, um, I don't know what to say to this. And they asked, okay, would you, would you like to meet our agent? And I was like, your agent, <laughs> like, you know, like it be, being in, you know, the you know mainstream industry, I was just like, Sure, I'll meet your agent. I mm-hmm. I I just thought this is so weird, and for some reason I was intrigued enough to say, okay, sure, I'll meet with uh, your agent. Mm-hmm. And how and old were I you? Thought, how old were you at this point? Like 22, 23 wow. years old. Wow. And what was your like? What was your obviously your your father wasn't in your life, so there's some yeah. parental stuff there. What was your um, faith? upbringing like yeah so i i grew up knowing a lot about god like Mm -hmm. my my grandmother like she was in church wednesday saturday sunday Mm -hmm. um so i i grew up my my grandparents were christian um Mm -hmm. we went to church i grew up at my grandmother's home um went to vacation bible school Mm -hmm. um participated in you know bsu in college um but like I knew a lot about God. And if you asked me, I would probably have said I was a Christian, mm-hmm. but there was never um there was never any intimate aspect about right. that. Nothing um, in you I, at that I, moment I, said, run. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um I just need to plug up my computer real quick. Yeah, I am sorry. It. It is no worries. Go it's for it. <laughs> So funny, my my wife. Sorry about that. I don't. Sorry. I don't know about you guys. I don't know how. Like, I am not the most organized and systematic person in the world, <laughs> but my wife is. Praise God. And sometimes things are so organized that I can't find anything. <laughs> but anyway. Um. So we were at the point where, so I, I say, okay, um, I'll meet this agent, but I was thinking this is, this has to be super weird. Um, so I was expecting to go to like, I don't know, like a, a, ho- a motel, not even a hotel, <laughs> but a motel. And there was going to be a guy picking lint out of his belly button or, yeah. or something weird, like right. something super sketchy. Mm-hmm. And instead I go to studio city. And there's, 
you know, uh, pretty close to where uh, the that, where you would get off to go to Universal Studios. To mm-hmm. the left, there's this giant like business complex, and I go into this place, and in the garage, there's Bentleys and Beamers, and I go up this elevator and I walk down this hallway. And at the end of this hallway, I open a door and there's this guy sitting there in this giant desk. He's got a three piece suit on, double Windsor tie, English accent. And he asked me, you know, what, why, why are you in Hollywood? Why are you in California? Um, Tell me a few things about yourself. And I just share a few things about him, um, about myself. And very quickly, he takes the information that I gave him and his response was master manipulation. It's, mm. you know, I, 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 I grew up, I didn't even say I didn't grow up without a dad. I said, I grew up with my mom in a small town, moved here to, to pursue, um, predominantly acting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do some modeling as well. And he was like, man, um, you could really make it in this industry. Um, the industry is kind of shifting and instead of, there being this, you know, a guy walks into a room and it happens, there's actually a shift and there's major productions and directors and scripts. And there, um, there's really big opportunities for people who have acting experience. Mm-hmm. And man, you could be the lead in all these movies. You could, you could live out this dream to act. And since you're a good looking guy, there's not a ton of good looking guys in porn. It's like, you'll, you'll be, you know, everyone's first choice. You'll be famous. You'll make all this money. You'll travel the world. Um, you should really consider it. And like in my gut, hard no. Like right. I'm not going to do this. My mom would kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, the the girl that I'm seeing would kill me. Um, this is going to ruin everything that I work for. Like those things like popped in my head. Right. But for some reason, the curiosity and the it was almost like, ironically, that the like the I believed the lie that like this was my dream and I was never good enough to achieve the genuine version of my dream. Mm-hmm. But maybe this counterfeit version, maybe that maybe that as close as I could get, because mm-hmm. who am I? And, and I and I and I and I had this like this this need to prove myself and this need to be affirmed. And I just believed, okay, it, maybe this could be it. Even though at the same time wrestling with, this is a terrible decision. Mm-hmm. But it was like, it was honestly, it was so bizarre. Like I still didn't feel like it was real. Like this right. is not a real thing. Even I'm right. having this conversation. It's like, you know, we, we could talk about being astronauts, but I could never like see myself getting out of, mm-hmm. you know, in a space something suit. walking. Yeah. Like I could never like really like put myself in that place, but I say yes. And then the next thing I know, he's like, okay, this town car is going to pick you up and take you to this testing center. There's this testing center in, um, in, in, I forget what city it was in, but there's this testing center. I'm pretty sure it was in, um, maybe Studio City or Sherman Oaks, but um, there's this testing center that everyone goes to. And that way, you know, we can pull consistent data points. So everyone gets tested at the same place. You know, there's, there's more aspects of control. And then everyone has to have 
Um, their test has a shelf life of, you know, 14 to 21 days, depending on the company, but everyone has to have a current test. So Except for that's like STDs that, and stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. So a full STD and AIDS test. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you have to do that. And I was like, okay, like to be completely honest, I've been very promiscuous, you know, up to that point. So I'm like, gosh, probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for me to do that. So and again, justifying something, but Offer me a free test. I might as well just right. take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but so I, I do it. And then uh, still at this point, like no real intentions to step on a porn set and make a movie. Like no, like real, like I'm not going to do this. Like mm. um, I'm saying yes, but in my heart, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do this. And then the test, um, he's like, okay, the test should come back the next day. And then once that happens, we're, you know, we have a, we have a shoot scheduled for you. Um, so once that happens, you know, we'll let you know, and then we'll send the car to pick you up. And my test does not come back the next day. And, um, that was one of many times that God was like, don't do it. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. You're so much better than that. I have so much more for you than that. And it didn't, so it didn't come back. And then director said, man, I really want to get you here. Um, I'm sure it will come back within the next 48 hours. The next day it comes back and he's like, okay, I'm sending a car over there at 10 and you know, you'll do the scene. And I was like, okay. And the whole time just thinking, I don't want to do this. Should I do this? I shouldn't do this. Don't do this. But yeah, the car comes and I go outside and I get in the car and I go, to set and then I'm again I'm still like trying to justify it's like okay you know probably gonna give me like a camcorder and I'll go in this room and no one will ever see it and I, mm -hmm. I won't do it again and I get there and there's someone there's a, a front desk person and I walk onto set and then there's catering and there's camera A camera B camera mm -hmm. C there's someone floating around shooting BTS Mm. Um, there's probably, you know, there, there's a grip, there's, there's probably 30 people on set. Mm -hmm. It's like a legit setup. Yeah. And yeah. just like, I mean, I, I just made like, you know, there's like B movies. I just made like a D, I just made yeah. like a D movie oh, yeah. in, in, in Bucharest, Romania, where at times I was holding the boom. Like, right. Right. Um, so I was like, okay. And acting is, at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like doing, a vo doing a voiceover at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I was like, this is legit. And I was just like, man, I'm, I'm here already. And they, they give me a piece of paperwork and, um, kind of stow this away because I would absolutely love to talk about this piece of paper. Really important. Okay. But there's a piece of paper. It's like, Hey, just fill this out. This is how you get paid. No big deal. Just, just sign here, here, and here. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, whatever. And I signed, signed, signed. And, and did they tell you, or have they told you in advance, like, this is what you're going to get paid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is it just like a, a big daily rate? I mean, was it like life changing no, so, I mean, money so, for this first one? Yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was like 500 bucks. Okay. Like it wasn't anything like spectacular. Like at the time, like, to be honest, like on a good, like at, at Saddle Ranch, like on a like Friday or Saturday night, like that's a, that's pretty much what I would make. So right. like, not like yeah. great, like not something that's like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. But they're like, yeah, you know, you'll be in and out in two hours, whatever. And like, it was more about what I was doing than me, like 
get like I didn't need the money. You know, it was like it, I don't know. I don't I, I don't know why I was there, but I get there and um so I fill out that paperwork and then this guy comes up to me and he's like, "So, here's here's this blue pill. Um it's in your hand. Take it if you want. Don't if you don't. Throw it away, put it in your pocket, keep it for whatever. We need you in 30 minutes. If you chew it up, it works faster." Just so you know, gosh, and leaves. And I was like, what? No, and that was the explanation. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. And then, and then I, I go into the bathroom and I'm like looking at myself and I'm like, are you going to do this? And then I'm thinking like, how do I get out of this? And it's like, man, I rode here. Like my transportation was that town car. If I, if I'm going to leave, I have to call them and say, Hey, I'm not going to do this. Can Mm. you come pick me back up? Mm -hmm. And I just, I believed that I had gone too far. Mm. I believed that there was no going back. Um, so I'm sitting there and I never have a conversation with, I never have a conversation with this girl that's that's there. Um, I never have a conversation with her there. There's just like this, there's these Kino flows just around her. You're just these big like panel lights around her, like stadium, like a, like a small stadium. Um, never say one word to her. I just saw her IDs and her test and that it was valid. And I walk into these lights and next thing I know, I'm on my way home and I feel very guilty. Mm. Um, I feel dirty and just like have this just wave of regret. And I was like, I'm not going to do that again, Mm. man. But the reality was that company that shot for, it was the biggest production company that existed in porn. And, they made their money by mass producing content and getting it out very quickly. So within two weeks, this scene was was on the internet and it was on the biggest, most watched website. And I went from thinking no one was going to see it to everyone I knew, like seeing it and, or like hearing about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I get a phone call from my agent and I get fired Mm -hmm. and then I get another phone call. I get fired. I get another phone call and I heard that my mom found out Mm -hmm. and I get another phone call from my brother. I get another phone call and all of a sudden my world starts crumbling. So they corner you. It's like it's manipulation, control, coercion, and then you're cornered and you feel like you basically have no other option but to just dive down this hole. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's it's definitely a two-sided coin like um I think on the other side of things it's like for me to truly experience freedom and repent from that sin, I had to acknowledge. So something that I didn't do for a long time is that I justified what I did and I had to come to the realization that it was upon my own volition that I made that decision. Right. Because for me not admitting that, Mm -hmm. there was something that was still, 
it was still holding me back spiritually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there was this weight that I was carrying that mm-hmm. I really couldn't identify. But that came many years later. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, my, my whole world falls apart. And then the girl that I was kind of seeing, um, I tell her what I did. And, mm-hmm. you know, she very quickly tells me to take a hike. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of the nucleus of all of my friends. And she worked at the restaurant that I worked at. So I felt like an idiot. And everyone thought that I was, you know, that not a good guy. And so I I quit that job because I was ashamed to go back. And just like a real like Genesis 2 to Genesis 3, it's like I really started feeling the shame and guilt. And I started isolating myself and I tried to cover myself up. And I started, Mm. you know, running because I was ashamed. And next thing I knew, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just threw Mm. away the last 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. I've been building up to where yeah. I was college yeah. agents, yeah. auditions, the whole thing was this, yeah. I, I read, I think I read in something that you mentioned and maybe this is for later. Was this this time where you were like at a, at a store or a bank or something, something, and someone used your real name and yeah. like for the first time you, you like didn't identify with that person or didn't want to hear, was that around this time or was that later on? No, that was, that was the day that I quit. Oh, wow. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but I guess that, like, keep so, going. Yeah. Yeah. I, so that happens. And I really believe that, okay, um, this is, this is what I've done. So, what else can I do? And the agent calls me and he's like, hey, um, I would love to offer you a contract and love to represent you. And, I didn't know what else to do, to be honest. I was like, I don't know. I've, I've already did this, so there's nothing else I can do. So I said yes. And that one decision led to me being in the adult film industry for six years. I did over a thousand movies. I traveled all over the world making those those films, won tons of awards, made over a million dollars. I was nominated for Best Male Performer of the Year, which is wow. the near the largest award that a guy can win. I was, I was nominated for that three times. And then in 2012, I won it. And like leading up to that moment, you know, increasingly depressed, increasingly isolating myself from every, you know, real relationship I had. I I stopped talking to my family. I stopped talking to my friends. I was just so ashamed. I felt like, how can I, contribute in any capacity as anything and that night that i finally won the award they call my name and this moment that i had envisioned in my head many times because you know you tell yourself the lie that like this is important and the Mm -hmm. success and the money and the appearances and the travel and all that stuff it's like it's a good thing i like it but the reality is i'm at the end of the day i'm so ashamed of what Mm -hmm. i'm doing but I feel like there's nothing else I can do. And so the, the award show, they call my name and I had found out that I was going to win the award earlier in the week so that I could articulate something specific Mm -hmm. that, um, so I could articulate something specific regarding what they wanted me to. Sorry, I got a siren coming through. It's all good. (laughs) They yeah, remember yeah. that from LA. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sirens all the yeah. time. Oh yeah. So I, I used to I used to live on Sepulveda Boulevard. So oh, yeah. in, in Sherman Oaks. And yeah. that was yeah. Here in all but, the sirens. Um, 
But I, you know, I, I finally get to this point where I would envision me, you know, winning this award and I'd find out, I'd found out a few days before, um, that I'd won it because it was, it was on, I don't think it was live, but it was on Showtime. So Showtime oh, wow. was there and they wanted, um, me to say something specific. You know, I, I was given, you know, information to articulate when I accepted my award and I just looked at it and then the day came for the award show and they call my name and I wasn't there. I was at home on my face, crying my eyes out because I wanted to die hmm. because I couldn't, I just couldn't do that anymore. Wow. I couldn't because every single, like a thousand times, like the level of exposure, like not just, you know, what I was doing, but you know, there's, there's lights and someone telling you what to do. And you're doing this act of intimacy that all of a sudden, you know, after a very short time became not intimate at all. Mm -hmm. It was so monotonous, everything about it. You know, it, it didn't matter to me, like who it was. It didn't matter. There was just a task to be done. And that's what I did for a living. Like, and it got so, I got so unattached from like reality that like looking someone in the eye and shaking their hand, it was the most uncomfortable thing in the world for me because that was real. Wow. Mm. So kind of leading up to the moment you were talking about at the bank. So I would get these checks and I'm a little OCD about checks. Like if I have a check, praise God for technology because I can take a picture of it and deposit <laughs> it um, via the mobile deposit. But at this point, this, did, this didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I would have to go to the bank and I would just either put it in the ATM or the Dropbox because I didn't want to have a conversation with a person mm -hmm. because on the check, there was the memo and the memo was what the check was for. Mm -hmm. And it was generally the title of the movie mm -hmm. and it was never, it was always obscene. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to. I it doesn't make for that. good like teller bank teller yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. I didn't want to have that conversation. So mm -hmm. I was just like, I'm just going to avoid it. And this day the ATM was not available. The Dropbox wasn't available and I was going to have to face the music. And I was like, how bad could it be? And I walk up to the teller and I hand, hand her the check and, you know, do you have your account number. I was like, no, swipe my card. She puts it in, hands me a receipt and I pivot to walk away. And she says, Joshua, can I help you? Joshua, wow. is there something I can do for you? Mm. And I have chills right now thinking about it because like in that moment, I hadn't heard my name in over a year. Everything I did I heard, you know, I went by a stage name. So mm -hmm. I was only on set or at a gym or wherever I was, everywhere I was, people knew me by that name. Somebody but wow. my parents, my friends, anyone that had, that I ever had a real relationship with, I had stopped talking to them. So in that moment when I heard Joshua, it just shattered this, this reality mm -hmm. that I had created because of my shame and my pain and i felt so guilty and the thing that i felt guilty for is not answering my mom's call not answering my mom's text because 
my mom was 16 and she fought for me to have so much. Mm. Um, she made sure that even though like growing up, you know, she was working in a restaurant 60, 70 hours a week, but she never missed an event. I never went without, you know, whatever new like basketball shoes I wanted. And then when I got into modeling, she made sure I had like new headshots and the comp cards and took me to all these places and made so many sacrifices for me. Mm. And she had a very tough life. Like she grew up 16 years old and raising me and working and and then she got married when I was seven or eight, and that lasted for a few years. And he was incredibly abusive to her, um, heavy into hard drugs. And um, that lasted for a few years. And she, you know, that that ended. And finally, she had met someone who treated her incredibly well. And they got married. I wasn't there. Um, his pancreas ruptures and he dies. I wasn't there. I wasn't there for the person that had did everything for me. And I found out about that through someone that I barely knew. And because someone like sent me a message on Facebook or something. And I just felt so terrible. Because every, she she didn't stop. Like she didn't stop calling and texting. I just she would send me texts and voicemails, you know, telling me she mm. loved me and just to come home, um, telling me wow. she's she's not ashamed of me, mm. um, but continuing to tell me like you're so much better than that. You're there's so much more for you than that. And um, man, praise God for devoted mothers. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And in that moment, I just, I felt, I felt that weight and I was over, I overwhelmed with emotion and I pick up the phone and I quit. I, I called my agent. Right as you left the bank. Yeah. Wow. I, as soon as I got home, I, I wept for a very long period of time. And then I was like, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit. And I, I contacted I contacted my agent. I contacted everyone that everyone that I could needed to contact. You know, I, I called the agent. I quit. I called, you know, this company that I was contracted by. I quit. I called my PR person. They let they did like a press release or whatever. And next thing I know, I was running home. I was running like real, like, pr like Luke 15, like prodigal son moment and expecting my mom to, you know, tell me, I told you so, or you know, I can't believe you did that. And she just hugged me and, you know, I'm from South Carolina. So instead of a, a ring and a robe, I had fried <laughs> chicken and collard greens. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. She just loved on your neck. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Classic Southern. Yeah. My grandmother used to always say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's Man. Right. So it was literally just a kind of a moment of complete transformation and, yeah. and, and turning away from this life that you've created from yourself for yourself. Yeah. And I, th and I think that like, it's a really good lesson in what happened next because I believe because I wasn't doing the thing anymore, the pain and the shame and the weight mm -hmm. would go away. Mm -hmm. But it didn't because I didn't confront it. I tried to sweep it under the rug. Mm -hmm. 
I got, you know, ironically, I had a Celtic cross tattooed on my shoulder and I got that covered up because I didn't want, you know, to be at the beach or the pool or, or at any point, like someone see that tattoo and, and recognize me. I, I tried to, mm-hmm. I think I like shaved my head because I thought that that would make me look different. I deleted all my social media and, and I thought like that would allow me to just fade into, you know, whatever. But the reality is I got a job at a gym and I needed a, another job because the job at the gym wasn't enough. So I got a job at the gym and I was working at Whole Foods. So I was working at Whole Foods from like 4 to 12, 4 a.m. to 12. And then I was working at a gym from like 1.30 to 8. And at both of those places, <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't tell anyone what I what I had done previous to that. And they were quickly, people were like, you're that guy. You're that guy. Wow. You're that wow. guy. Because even though I had stopped doing it, the the way the amount of movies and the level of fame I had and the way that, you know, it's distributed, mm-hmm. it continued to come out. So right. it looked like, wait, you, were still you are one of the most popular mm-hmm. porn stars in the world. What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Aren't you're that guy, right? And I was like, gosh, like, this is just never going to end. I, I, kind of a question I have. That to me would seem like a very unique interaction with someone who's just saying like, oh, I just, right. I saw you in that video. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it kind and of, for, it's amazing. How, how would that play Because that out? then implicates the person. Like I, right. I, I grew up as a teenager right. and in my early adult years, like watching pornography. Yeah. But, and I guess it's just because I was brought up in a Christian environment. That was never something that I wanted to talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think. Like it, like, like what you're saying now, it's like, for me, like when someone would say that now it's like so bizarre because that's the first thing I think it's like, why would you confess to me that you were watching porn? Right. Like, why are you telling me that? And then a lot of times, you know, as as a pastor today, it's like, man, like, aren't you worried that, you know, you're going to be preaching to people that seen your movies. I'm like, well, that's not my issue. That's something that I want to help them walk through. And like, like I never want to say anything or do anything that, you know, causes someone to stumble or tempt, you know, be tempted or anything like that. But like, it's not my fault that they were watching porn. <laughs> right. Well, I think what that conversation speaks to on a larger yeah. cultural yeah. Uh, issue is that is just how common and pervasive it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that it is an ordinary thing to talk about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fact that someone will come up to you, and it's like, oh, I seen you in that. It's like, is it that normal? Did yeah. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, that, that happened and that went on for about two years. So I, I grew, um, I grew in, um, I grew in my capacity as a trainer and, you know, I, I thought it's like, well, if I keep doing good things, this will, the good will override the bad. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what I was thinking. Like, you know, if, if I keep just, you know, just pour my heart into fitness and training, um, you know, good things will happen. And they did. And in some ways, like I grew to, you know, to the point where I no longer needed to work at the grocery store. And then I became a manager at this gym. And then I got an opportunity to work at this other gym that was bigger. And, you know, I was, essentially making a salary and I had personal training clients and, you know, I was doing okay. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I still had that pain. I still had that shame. And 
the night terrors were just terrible. Just like just re, just rehashing um, yeah. what I did, and right. more so terrified of me not having a future because I'm like, who, like, because that was something that I heard consistently from people in the industry. It's like, you know, it's just how it is. You know, you're not going to get married. You're not going to have kids. That's just how it's going to be because no one's going to want to be in a relationship with you. No business. Um, that was a part of the thing that like really like escalated my depression because. I was seeing that there there was no future to be had. Mm. Never going to be a husband, never going to be a father, never going to work with any kind of organization that's going to like see any value in me because of what I did, because I defined myself by my behavior. So even though I was doing okay, I still saw myself as that person at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm working at this gym and this girl's, um, working out and she just finished working out. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to go offer, you know, Southern gentlemen, I'm going to say, Hey, uh, I'll put your equipment away for you. And she's like, I can do that myself. Like, Whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, um, what do you think about me, you know, taking you out? Uh, what do you, can, could we go on a date, go to dinner or something like that? She's like, no, I'm okay. Jeez, um, but she's like, we can go for a run. I was like, I hate running. I hate running so much. <laughs> but for but you, but, yeah, but for you, absolutely, absolutely. And we meet at this park, and we're gonna go for this run. And I'm sitting there waiting for her to get there, and then my thoughts just like take my mind over, and I have this lump in my throat, and it's like, man, along the way over the last two years. I had boldface lied to so many people about my past mm-hmm. um, or just, you know, just withheld truth mm-hmm. because either way, whether you lie or you withhold the truth, both hurt, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, relationships that ended, you know, opportunities that I could have had that, that didn't come to fruition because I wasn't honest. I was just so terrified of anyone finding out what I did and who I was. And in that moment, it's like, man, this girl hasn't done anything to you. She's completely innocent. Like, why would you hurt her? Why would you put her through that? Like, mm. just just tell her the truth. And I was like, okay, I'm going to tell her. And then we, we start to run, which turns into a walk because we were talking so much. And I was like, there's just something I want to tell you. I'm just going to get it off my chest. And I was like, I did a little bit of porn. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> what? That was the way you said it. <laughs> what? And then I was like, you know what? And I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, I did all this porn, and I did this, and I did that, and you know, I, 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 I had a, an action figure in my backyard, and oh I burned God. him at the stake. Yeah, three years yeah. old. I meant to do it. And I lied to my mom. Yeah, it's like <laughs> just everything. Like, and at the end of it, I mean, she was looking at me like, wow. Okay, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I did not expect this. I did not expect this at all. Um, and she just looks at me for a little bit. And I'm like, what are you going to say? Are you going to. Are you going to run? Karate kick me? <laughs> yeah. Broke and punch me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's going to happen? And she looks at me and says, well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> and. Um, but I want you to know this, um, a person is not defined by the worst thing 
they'll ever do. And they're not defined by the best thing they'll ever accomplish. That doesn't define who you are. God does that. Hmm. And I was like, wow. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> um, so you want me to leave? Or? <laughs> and she was like, well, do you have a relationship with God? I was like, I'm not last time checked. <laughs> I, but to, to, to be honest, though, I didn't know the answer hmm. because if if she like if someone would have said, "Do you believe that God exists?" I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that was true. I believe that God created everything, mm-hmm. and you know, just from like a scientific aspect, like I believe that you know, mm-hmm. time, space, and matter came into existence at the same time, and there had to be something existing outside of that mm-hmm. to create that. I I believe that. It just made sense. But what I didn't believe and I couldn't wrap my head around is that me being who I was, living the way that I did, that I could have a relationship with God or he would want one with me. So when she said that, I was like, I don't know the answer, Mm. but I just I don't know. And she quickly, you know, shared with me that she had a relationship with God and, you know, she pivoted, Mm. you know. What, what, what do you like to eat? What, tell me about your family. What are some goals that you have? And I was just like. Just confessing everything right into small talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's amazing. And for, for me, it was like, man, that was the first time in my life I was truly honest, you know, at, in that point in my life, like truly honest with someone. And I felt like, man, this person is not judging me Mm -hmm. based on what I did. And it was weird. And then it allowed me, it almost like ushered me into the presence of God. And it ushered me into the presence of breaking mm-hmm. down boundaries to the extent where I could see myself as a person in contrast to that person. Mm. And later on in that week, she asked me if I wanted to go to church. And I was like, yeah, I, she had almost like cultivated this curiosity in me. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to know more about this, um, about this relationship deal. And there was a new church in the area. It was, you know, pretty, pretty modern um, in a sense where like it was, you know, it was newer. They played, you know, contemporary worship music. A lot of people that I knew were going there. And I was like, sure. And we get there and their mission statement. I remember seeing it and said, um, we want to meet you where you are and encourage you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was mm-hmm. like, you want to meet me where I'm at? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you want to meet me where I'm at. And we go inside and everyone's incredibly kind. And I just feel like, I don't know. It's like, it's, mm-hmm. you, you feel like. Must the catch here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But like for me, it was almost like, um, I didn't make a lot of bad grades growing up, but almost it was like if I did something wrong that I knew that my mom was eventually going to find out. Mm-hmm. It's like I was I was like, there's just something. It's like I'm going to get in there. And I'm like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. you got to go. You're mm-hmm. you're that guy. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I just felt like I just didn't belong. I, that's why I, I, I believe like I wasn't supposed to be there. But yet everyone treated me otherwise. And we go in and the worship music was fine. And I was just like, whatever, like, this is cool. And just like from, 
you know, from, from a cinematography standpoint and just a aesthetic standpoint, I was like, oh, like this, you know, the lights are cool, you know, yeah. everything, you know, I was looking at the stage and I was like, you know, nerding out a little bit. I was like, it's pretty cool. And, um, the pastor gets up and I expect him to, you know, I, I grew up Southern Baptist church, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to hell for mm-hmm. any and everything. Yeah. That's crazy. Like that's exactly how Mike preaches. Yeah. 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 I'm getting, you know, I'm being discipled yeah. through that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People stop showing up. It's weird. I don't know. We can't figure it out. Yeah. Can't yeah. be me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I sit down and just this, this pastor, just very soft spoken, um, you know, just, really being vulnerable. It's like, you know, I, you know, just letting people know, like, I'm not perfect. I've had my struggles. Um, and I saw myself very undeserving of God's grace. And I want to tell you the story of Mephibosheth and he, te- and he's, he tells the story of Mephibosheth and, um, you know, how when one King takes over the previous, you know, lineage, they, they wipe out that entire family and Mephibosheth was the only person left. And he's, you know, crippled already and, uh, he's broken and he's on this, you know, essentially like sidewalk, like begging for food. And the King sends one of the guards to go find him because he wants to meet him. He wants to, you know, bring him into the kingdom. And, um, he's sitting there and he looks up and he sees the King's guard. And because of who he was, keep talking. I just got to plug us in for some reason. Um, because of who he was, he believed he was going to receive death. And instead, he reached down and helped him up and offered him a seat at the king's table, mm-hmm. not for a day, mm-hmm. not for a week, but forever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as beautiful as that is, let me tell you about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, articulates the gospel and, um, talks about you know, Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and just talks about how in the middle of our worst, Jesus died for us and he did that because he loves you and love is indicative of choice and mm. he chose to die for you so that you could be restored into a right standing with God and that grace is available to you because God loved you. And I just, like, I had heard it a million times, but right. at this time it, it made its way to my heart. Mm. And, you know, I'm, again, I'm pretty emotional. So I was like <laughs> weeping uncontrollably. <laughs> like again, like with this girl that thinks like, I, <laughs> this guy's got issues. She's probably yeah. loving it now. She's like, oh yeah, yeah. my um, plan is working. Yeah. But you know, I, for me though, like absolutely. Like I gave my life to Christ, like in that moment. And the weight and the shame, not just from porn, like the weight and the shame and just the feeling like I wasn't enough was removed. Wow. And I experienced a peace that truly surpasses any and all understanding. And what I felt in that moment was just overwhelming love. And I felt seen in a way that I'd never felt seen. And I, I realized that the father that I always wanted mm. to be proud of me was looking down at me and was proud of me. That's awesome. And it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And that girl that I went on that run on, she's my wife mm-hmm. and we've got three kids 
and we recently started a ministry together and it's um just so thankful for her and just such a great lesson for so many people that like sure that not that might not be your story but the way that you interact with a person at Starbucks the way that you offer encouragement the way that you step into an uncomfortable conversation like mm-hmm. how you react mm-hmm. matters so much mm-hmm. because you could be ushering them into a direction that changes the trajectory of their life yeah Man, that's so powerful it's, it's just amazing right you know i mean i think about how paul talks about how um the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe it um and yet the proof is always in the pudding and the, the it is like paul says in romans it's the power of god unto salvation yeah um and it's, it's like you said, you'd, you'd heard it a hundred times before, but the message is so timeless that when it's time, yeah, God's going to get you. <laughs> yeah. He's going he's gonna to reach your heart. Yeah. And uh, it's the moment of conversion is so significant. Yeah. It's amazing, man. Um, one thing that you told us to stash away in our heads was that piece of paper. I'd love to yeah. hear why that was so significant. Yeah, so... So the piece of paper that you sign when you go on to set, one is to get paid and one, you're you're signing away all rights for that day because you're a day rate employee. So you're signing away all rights to audio, video, and photography. But the the issue is there's an additional portion that you sign where they can sell that to a third party and that third party can then sell it as many times as they want. So the issue is, Instead of a thousand pieces of content, there's ten thousand pieces, Jeez. and that is just one way that people are manipulated. And like, there's no consent there. Mm-hmm. And like for right now, um, I have nearly two hundred fake profiles across all social media. Wow! And it's it's really easy to identify that it's fake because it's from you know ten fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. and. Um, like some of the things I've done, you know, like I, I covered up my tattoo that way I would have a tangible reminder. It's like, if you see this guy with his tattoo, I've not done anything like that, mm-hmm. but it's just sad that those images are still out there and they're being abused. And often it's to manipulate people mm-hmm. and it's just frustrating. And I wish that there was something I could do about it. I wish that it could all be erased, mm-hmm. but yeah, like that's that's my frustration with the, the just that industry in general. That mm-hmm. it's not only manipulative in in that capacity, but yeah, you know, you it's it's designed to take advantage of people to the furthest extent possible. Mm-hmm. I feel like I read something recently. There was, I think, it was one of the biggest uh, porn production companies had been essentially telling girls that it was for like private, these videos were for like private collectors overseas mm-hmm. and then um, essentially lying, putting it up on the internet just mm-hmm. days later and then refusing to take it down. Mm-hmm. And I guess oh, those yeah. guys just got arrested. Did they really? Yeah, I think they finally got, got wow. arrested. But it seems like that kind of stuff happens. It's just a lot of manipulation, oh, coercion. I mean, and Yeah, and so it's like, and, and so this is specifically about, or more often than not, is for girls, but, Here is the way this often happens. 
um, for everyone, when you get in the industry, um, you have a no list. So things you, you refuse to do mm-hmm. and people you refuse to work with. And as a girl has a prosperous, prosperous career and, you know, she's making a lot of movies. She's getting requested a lot. Obviously that means that agent is making a lot of money and, um, all of a sudden her career starts to dissipate because there's so much content out there. It's like, there's nothing that's true, like really new. There's nothing that's unseen. Mm. Um, so once her, like once she's not as popular, he, he behind her back goes to this no list and auctions it off to companies. Mm. And then once he gets the highest bidder, he comes to her. It's like, look, I know that, you aren't as popular as you used to be, but there's this company that kind of out of nowhere said, Hey, I know that she's never done this thing. Um, I know it's on your no list, but if you just did this one thing, then you would be relevant. You would be irrelevant again. And they're offering $50,000. And then the girl more often not says yes. And then once she does that thing, Mm -hmm. well, you've already done it once. You might as well do it again. And then you go through that process until there's no nose on that list because you've done all these things. And then, you know, if the career starts to dissipate more, it's like, well, actually, I own this company. Um, it's escorting. It's not prostitution. Mm. It's just escorting. Um, and you spend a weekend with someone and they pay you like 10 grand. But, you know, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Um, but it's just escorting. It's not prostitution. It is prostitution. It absolutely is prostitution. And there's a clear expectation of what you're to do when you go there. But they're like, I own this, this side gig. And, and, but the thing is those people who are requesting the, the person, the escort, the, the escort is only profitable or they can only charge a lot of money if they are relevant in the industry. So like one tries to to feed the other. So the the agent tries to make as much money as they can off that person. And then the last stop is this thing called feature dancing. So it's strip clubs. Uh, If you, if you're, if you have a name for yourself, you'll be the feature dancer and they'll pay you a fee to be, you know, someone who is well known. But again, um, the, the more your career dissipates and you're not well known, there's no draw. So all of a sudden your phone stops ringing. Mm. And you're 30, you're aged out, you've been in the industry for a few years, and now you're 30 as a woman, and you're 30, and you've been told for five years, well, no one, you're not, you're never going to be able to marry anyone, you're never going to have a future, because this is all over the internet, this is just how your life is, so you made your bed, you just got to lie in it, so you might as well do this, you might as well do this, this is just who you are, this is what you have to do, and this goes on, and all of a sudden, the phone's not ringing and you have been so sure and you believed the lie for so long that that's who you are. Your worth is, it is tied into your ability to get booked for these movies. And when your phone stops ringing, you start looking at yourself. You're like, well, my life has no worth. My life has no future. So what am I going to do? And for 35 people, who were in the industry the same time I was, they've taken their life via suicide or overdose Jeez. because they didn't see 
a life mm -hmm. worth living. That's and that's just... real. And the, and, the, and the sad part is even deeper that people, I, I, I pray that someone hears this, that, you know, it, the, the reality is that Christians struggle with pornography. Mm -hmm. It's real. That's real. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to hear this because this has been really impactful in a lot of people's lives. So there's 35 people who lost their lives. They took their own lives. Um, their content is still on the internet and they were very popular. So there's thousands of videos that those people were in and those people on the other side of the screen are not just products to be consumed. They're people mm. and they're people who valued themselves so little that they felt trapped in that industry and they felt so trapped by that industry at the end of the day when they weren't getting any more jobs they thought there was nothing else they could do but take their life so that person that took their life because of that industry you're more likely than not watching someone who Jeez. took their life wow man heavy and yeah. that's real mm -hmm. it's real mm -hmm. And it makes it just such, you know, I think so many times, especially when it comes to, to porn, I think the idea is like, well, this hurts me. I know that this is mm -hmm. happening, but it's not really affecting anybody else. It's not really like, right. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not cheating on my wife. Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, like right. all the different things that as the majority of males at some point in their life have walked down the road of, mm -hmm. of, of, yeah. you know, watching pornography. I think it's like, I think that in and of itself you know, oh, I'm, I'm not going to stop this because it doesn't really affect anybody but mm -hmm. me. But I think even right. just that perspective makes it about so much more than mm -hmm. just like our own self gratification and mm -hmm. what the bigger yeah. picture is behind what we're yeah. what we're actually watching. What was the yeah. um, just out of curiosity, you mentioned the blue pill. Yeah, is it, do they, is it a common practice to like give drugs to people who are participating in the making of the films? Oh, I mean, by, yes. So I mean, either because here, here's the reality as a guy in the industry. So a director is footing the bill for a crew, mm -hmm. um, a production studio, permits, um, equipment, you know, the, everything. So, you know, 20, 20 grand at least per day. Mm -hmm. And the only person at the end of the day that is not getting paid is the male talent, the guy, if you can do the job. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't do the job, there's no product. Mm -hmm. If there's no product, everyone else is getting paid, but you. Because mm -hmm. everyone else showed up and did their job, but you didn't do your job. And because you didn't do your job, there's no there's no product. So there's a lot of pressure on guys to do that. So it's kind of like you did it once, and now you believe you need this thing to do it. And at the end of my career, um, I was so mentally and emotionally distraught um, a common practice with a lot of people is that you'll take this thing called caverjack so it's something you inject into yourself and it traps blood into your yourself and mm -hmm. it's for paraplegic people wow. to be intimate with their spouse so it, it works whether you know wow. you're doing something or not um so i mean that and it's something that your body becomes dependent on. Um, it's something that if you take too much of, you have to go to the hospital and, you know, get lanced. Um, Jeez. So. 
And, and that's just, I mean, that's, that's just the truth. And just like, you know, people think like, all oh, like these are, these are two people who are like living out this fantasy. Right. The reality is both, like both parties more often than not didn't want to be there. Right. Like you're there doing a job. That's it's like, yep. you know, I was, I was doing sometimes 25, 30 scenes a month and it was yeah. so monotonous and, you know, yeah. Like the girl didn't want to be there. You didn't want to be there. It's it's hot, and yeah. you, you know, you you've got thirty people, you know, Looking at sitting you. on set, mm-hmm. and like you know, someone eating Doritos in the corner, and mm-hmm. someone with a boom mic over your head, and a you know, a sea light underneath you, and you're there's this director telling you what to do. It's like move this way, move that way, mm-hmm. transition, do this, do that, and it's so far from anything that even resembles reality mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's so far from intimacy and you it's just feel like, trapped you feel enslaved mm-hmm. you know yeah and, and I, it's like for me it's like i believed once i did it i was like well i can't do anything else and that like that was the the heaviest weight on me that's why the depression got to the point where like i was ready to take my life because i i didn't want to live mm-hmm. and i believed with all of my like with all of my body like i believed that there was no way out of this. I was just going to do this. And then after I couldn't do it anymore and I got too old, I would just direct and own a company. It's like, this was just my life because wow. there was nothing else I could do. And just so thankful that people gave me opportunities when they didn't have to, like people believed in me when they very easily, you know, shouldn't have maybe, mm-hmm. um, but my wife, incredible. And um, there was a person in my life. I, I, I can never tell my story without telling this. There was a person in my life. So I give my life to Christ and um, I'm a little crazy. So I give my life to Christ and I go upstairs to the church and I'm like, hey, is there a pastor I can talk to? And uh, they're like, yeah, actually, Pastor Gary's in his office and he was the executive pastor at the time. And I was like, Gary... Um, I think God wants me to build a boat. <laughs> it's like, what? I, I am like, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, and you know, like from the you know the little bit of like you know Bible knowledge I had, that, I mean that's just like how it made sense in my head. Mm-hmm. And like I'm ex- I'm extroverted to the point where like I'll like something will come out and I'm like, ooh, I wish I could bring that. <laughs> but I said that I'm like Gary. I think God wants me to do something bigger than. I can comprehend. And my grandfather did teach me this. If you want to do something, learn how to do it well and find someone who is doing what you want to do and ask a lot of questions. So I'm like, Gary, I'm here to ask a lot of questions because I want to tell my story. And here it is. (laughs) I told him my story and I was like, I want to tell the story, but I want to do it through the lens of, being biblically accurate and, mm-hmm. and because and this is what this is just what I want to do. I don't know what it's going to turn into, but like this is I feel like this is what God wants me to do. And he's like, okay, um, there's this guy who just moved to town. Um, his name's Andrew Yates. Um, he re, like a few years ago graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary and his family just moved here from Dallas and they're helping us launch another campus but that's not happening for a few months and he probably has some spare time. 
it was like, so meet with him. And little did I know that this man would mentor me 15 to 20 hours a week, become one of the best friends I've ever had and just speak truth over my life, just relentlessly and just inspire me to go back to school. And I eventually, I went back to school. I went to Liberty to study religion with a focus on Christian ministries. And, you know, I I would love to eventually um, get get a PhD. I, I just want to do so much, but I'm just really inspired me in so many ways, but just poured into my life. Just like literally t- you know, spent a year teaching me how to read the Bible and teaching me how to teach people, you know, the Bible. Like we went through Greek for a year. Um, just incredible, incredible person, just really gifted teacher, but really passionate about just pouring into people. Um, but like he, he changed my life in so many ways because, you know, he could have easily, you know, we had one conversation and he, yeah, he told me, you know, here, here's, here's this, you know, read, read the book of John, you know, do this. Um, but instead he poured into my life in a way that it impacted me tremendously. And I was so neat because I hadn't seen him in like three years. And I was, um, are you guys familiar with what Tome is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a, kind of a Bible um, story app. Right. Yeah. Bi- yeah. yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I was, I was in oh, Dallas. Yeah, with, um, so I, I filmed, um, yeah. I was in Dallas filming like 10 or 11 devotionals for them. And, um, he had moved back to Dallas recently and we got to connect, but it was like such a neat moment. Like me telling him that I was in Dallas recording, um, devotionals for this video app and just, you know, just rehashing, you know, good times that, you know, that was almost, almost seven years ago, but, and here I am today. So. Man, it's amazing. That that's amazing, yeah. man. Beautiful. Yeah, such a cool story. Um, man, thanks for thanks for taking the time to share with us. Yeah. We'll definitely have to have you on again. I feel like I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, and just like, so yeah, like, it's like I I am so long winded. No, this is, no, bro, it's great. It was yeah. good to get. It's like, that's why picture. that's why I had to I had to write a book because it's like, man, I need to like look at these details in front of me, mm-hmm. like. I, I had the opportunity to be a pastor at Life Church for a season, and just that was the like I, I had a, a lot of takeaways, but just understanding like how important clarity was, mm-hmm. and just trying to communicate, you know, in a concise way. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really benefited from that. But yeah, so just telling my story. If if someone would just let me go, it's like I'll I'll dig so deep. No, and just, you have I'm a book coming out. You know, what's that? You have a book coming out. Not yet, not yet. We're 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 we. I wrote it and it was very raw, so it's just like <laughs> walking through. It's like okay, a, a Christian publisher might not exactly want that. <laughs> but at, the, at the same time, it's like I, I had a lot of opportunities to publish it if I, essentially, like dumb dumb down right the mm. Jesus. It's like like that's way too much theology in there, mm-hmm. but it's like. I want to tell my story in a in a very vulnerable way, mm-hmm. but I also want to give people both practical and spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, applications to apply to our lives because freedom is found through both. Like yeah. what what I've learned is like yes, like salvation is instantaneous, but sanctification is a process, mm-hmm. and part of that process is unpacking, you know, wounds. And mental and emotional trauma, like that, that was a big thing for me. And 
like I was sharing with you, I stayed in the industry for so long because I justified it mm -hmm. and never really owning up that it was upon my own volition that I made those decisions. Right. That like once I was really able just to follow my face and just call out to God and repent for that, I was really able to find freedom in a way that allows me to proclaim the gospel with more clarity and more boldness. And, you know, I, I think that I have a responsibility to lead people in, in some capacities out of that lifestyle because I have a very unique perspective and I can do that in a different way. Like, so yeah. hundred percent. That's so awesome, man. Thanks for just sharing your story and being so willing to do it. I, I really know, man, so many people are going to be impacted. Um, where can people follow you online? Like Instagram, you said you have a podcast. Where can people find you to keep up to date with everything that's going on? Yeah. So my, on social media, everything is, I am Joshua Broom mm -hmm. and I have a podcast called uh, counterfeit culture. And the best way to find that is through the edify app. So E D I F Y. So cool. Christian post, um, pushes that out. It's amazing. There's a lot of, um, really awesome podcasts on there, but that's amazing. Yeah. yeah we'll link to all that in the yeah. show notes and well, man, thanks for, thanks for taking the time to talk with us and we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, I, I would I would love to to dig into some. Yeah, there, there, there's so many like theological truths that yeah mm -hmm. I would love to just dig into because a lot of people think that okay, you know, apps and you know putting putting right. a block on my phone and doing right. all this stuff. I would love to just dig into um, what does God say about sex and yep. how is purity found? And just another thing, another thing that I'll kind of just leave you with the the incredible thing is. Um, yeah, I did a thousand pornographic films and I meet my wife and we decide to go to a premarital class and we walked in purity until the point we got married. Wow. And someone would look at me and say, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. And you can choose holiness today. Mm -hmm. You can choose to pursue purity today. And God honors that. So, Great. um, so I'll just leave you with that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great closing encouragement for yeah. everybody. And I, I yeah. agree. I'd love to have you back on sometime and, and talk from a theological perspective about what God was doing in you um, yeah. as he was saving you. And then also, yeah, talking about um, sexuality and holiness and everything that comes along with that. I think that'd be a really powerful yeah. conversation. I mean, because like, yeah, just, just looking at like what does the word repent and what does the word like reproof like mean like from a theological perspective is like I had to tear down and destroy so many aspects of my life so that I could see reality mm -hmm. and appropriate myself in the way that I was actually designed mm -hmm. to do that. So, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely do a part two. We'll yep. get you up. We'll get it figured All out. All right, brother. Man, brother. thank you so much. We'll You're talk very to welcome. you soon. All right, guys. Have okay. a great day.